wondering what is the political party. And uh, at every podcast that we do, I'd like to start out by just kind of giving you my idea of what the political party is all about. And then I'll let my co-host chime in and then we'll dive deep into the meaty stuff. Uh, But for me, the political party was really an avenue for millennials to stay engaged in the political process. Um, You know, I've heard Simeon say this quite a bit. There's there's been uh, every four years around the presidential election, there's an uptick in engagement uh, where folks uh, decide to get involved in politics. And then after the primaries are done, after the election in November, there's really this drop off of engagement. While we haven't seen that uh, this cycle, which I'm really uh, happy about, uh, the political party is really an avenue to, to bring politics to people who um, are civic-minded and to keep them engaged all year round. So uh, I'll start with asking Simeon, is, is that a fair estimation, or what's your idea of the political party I'm, as a I'm going to go way, way further. Okay, all right, do that. The political party should supplant the Democratic Party. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> I'm joking, actually. No, I don't think that. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> no, I think Stacy Stacy said it correctly. Um, but that was half joke, but there was some truth in that. I think that what we've seen uh, over the course of quite a while is that you know traditional political parties, the mainstream political parties, haven't done an effective job of enga- con- consistently engaging young people in the political process, and um, we think that uh, we have a different possibly a better model to do that and so that's what we're doing here you know I often think that the whole political process that all of us have been a part of leaves out some of the most important people uh, which are young voices people of color women people are doing the grassroots organizing across the state that actually get things done so that's why I became a part of the political party because I want to help highlight the people who have their their hands dirty in the work that uh, raises minimum wages passes community IDs um, and fights against uh, corporate power of our democracy and uses art and music and uh, alcohol and other social gatherings to get people together to do those things. I think that's a great estimation of uh, what it is we're trying to, to do and to be. And uh, to sum it up, I think we're uh, choosing to sort of crash into one space, innovative people, some booze, some culture, some music, some art, uh, and thoughtful conversations. So ju- just, to, just to be clear, you guys don't agree with my initial uh, idea. No, you're not, you're we'll not down we'll with that call? We'll save that for another episode. Right, cool, cool, cool. So uh, in this uh, episode, we're going to do uh, two things. We're going to uh, do what I call a damage report, and that is sort of assess the first 42 days of uh, President Trump's administration uh, and what that means for the country. Uh, and then we're going to move into more narrow conversations about some legislation uh, that's uh, matriculating right now through the legislature. And Senator Bolcom is going to help us uh, talk about that. But so I'll kick it off. So Donald Trump's been in office for 42 days. Um, and we've seen a lot in those 42 days, including um, the resignation of Michael Flynn, who was the shortest serving national security advisor ever. Uh, <laughs> I love that we applaud that. Um, Iowa City. We are we are uh, uh, hoping to see the resignation of the Attorney General uh, Jeffrey Bogard Sessions. We've seen executive orders uh, that have marginalized uh, entire uh, races of people. 
um, the Muslim ban on seven countries, predominantly Muslim Arab countries. Um, we've, we've seen massive protests in response to some of these executive orders that came out early uh, in President Trump's administration. Uh, we've seen uh, woefully inadequate um, and uh, people vying to be nominated and confirmed uh, for secretary cabinet level positions. Um, our secretary of education, uh, uh, one of them, the secretary of uh, energy who uh, years ago uh, was, was trying to list it as one of the agencies they would abolish. Um, but were uh, unsuccessful at remembering, or was not successful at remembering that agency. So we've just seen a lot happening. Um, and I just want to get the read of my co-host on kind of where we are for a country. What does this mean that we've got uh, an administration uh, that is not competent, an administration that is uh, trying to put people in office at the highest levels uh, that uh, aren't qualified to do the job? What's your read on it? We'll start with Simeon. Go to Misty. Yeah, I think clearly this is... Uh an incompetent administration. Um, but I think and I hope that a lot of the, the protests and a lot of the organizing, a lot of the resistance is having an effect. Uh, I think what we've seen from Donald Trump uh, is a, a soft um, uh, walk back of some of the, the hardline uber conservative policies. And I think that's the people who are in the streets daily people that are organizing, a lot of the independent uh, grassroots uh, efforts that have propped up all across the country. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but here in Iowa, we have uh, 50 uh, chapters and organizations of Indivisible Iowa in every single Iowa Senate district, just like that. That's incredible. Um, and I'm just gonna apologize, you know, I'll be vulgar and profane throughout, uh, so if, if that offends you, I'm terribly sorry. But that shit is working. Hashtag sorry, not sorry. <laughs> Keep it the fuck up. <laughs> Keep it up, for sure. Yes. And Simeon, you mentioned, and obviously we'll go to Missy next on this, but you mentioned the grassroots uh, organizations, how they've sprung up in response to this, and it's working. Um, you know, I, I know just here um, in Johnson County, uh, the new vice chair of the Democratic Party, Elizabeth Dingell, has uh, formed uh, a new group uh, called Action Iowa. Um, and we've got Karen Nichols, who has formed a group. Um, I know the graduate student organization has been organizing here. CCI has been organizing. They've been organizing for a long time. They're doing a lot of good work. Um, you mentioned individual Iowa, uh, Indivisible Iowa, I, the Iowa Labor Center, Center for Worker Justice, the Public Policy Project. All of these groups have sort of sprang up in response to that. Simeon seems to think it's working. Misty, what's your read on that? Well, I think that's a huge question. But I, what I do think is that Trump is obviously feeling a little pressure, even if it's coming from his own party or all the grassroots movements, because of the address that he gave to the Congress, which people seem to be rather um, impressed by. And really, I guess Van I Jones thought it was. Impressed by it, right? Yeah, well, I don't know. Even IPR, IPR has been reporting on it and acting as if all of a sudden he changed his uh, position on immigration and the, and the ban. But really, he just gave us a bunch of lip service, right? So. Um, you know, I don't know if it's really having an effect, but I think that Trump's having to go back every single day and fix a bunch of fire, like put out fires that he constantly starts. And I think that is because of um, the grassroots pressure that, that we're putting on people. In particular, though, I think that uh, what's really happening is people are finally figuring out that sitting around and thinking that things that don't directly affect you, you don't need to do anything about. 
I think that people are finally seeing that it doesn't really matter if you are an immigrant, if there's an immigrant ban that does affect you and probably your neighbors and your kids' friends, um, maybe your coworkers. I think that people, <clears throat> even if you don't make minimum wage, probably finally realize it's a good idea that everyone makes a decent wage so that Walmart isn't subsidized by our tax dollars, things like that. So I think that you know, what is happening is people are finally figuring out that even if you think something doesn't directly affect you, um, it does matter. And so I think that these movements that you just talked about are, are helping us do that and, and give people an outlet to actually do something about it. So Donald Trump is uh, putting an extraordinary uh, stress on our Constitution. Um, and we've seen a lot of his, uh, we've seen one of his executive orders challenged in the courts. Um, and we, uh, there are a lot of sort of constitutional crises that he can sort of start in his administration as he tries to roll out his policy platform. So my question is, um, we've tried to impeach presidents uh, before in our past. Um, do you think Donald Trump is looking at impeachment? <laughs> the, the crowd here seems to think so. But you, you know what, I, I think that I think that may distract from the, the work at hand, to be honest with you. Um, uh, I think that uh, um, there's a lot of legislative, of organizing efforts that we need to focus on instead of, uh, you know, focusing on impeachment. Um, and I think we should sort of, we should focus on those things. I think it's, it's a bit of a distraction. Uh, and if, if, if he was... If he was going to be impeached or if there was some type of impeachable offense, I think there would be, I don't know, I think there would be more, it would have made itself uh, more evident, you know, already. Okay. All right. Give it time. Okay. All right. <laughs> Misty, you want to jump in on the impeachment question? I'm on question? the same boat. You know, I'm all about growing local power because I think real change only really comes when we've got power in all of our communities. So I think that instead of focusing on impeaching Trump, what people really need to focus on is empowering people uh, who look like us, act like us, and talk like us to run for power, for run, run for office and to win. Um, and that takes collective organizing and strategic thinking. And it also t um, takes like unifying across different causes. And also it takes sort of re-examining what the Democratic Party's been doing that hasn't been working and being like real upfront about how we're gonna build, build power for the left. Um, so I would rather focus on that. And I mean, I think Trump's gonna keep creating his fires and doing really awful things and we're gonna keep resisting. And that resistance is gonna, you know, create this bubbling up effect where we can actually do something about it, hopefully in the next, you know, 16 months. Let's, let's, let's stay there for a moment. You mentioned that the Democratic Party uh, some of the things that it's been doing hasn't been working. Uh, what do you mean by that? We've been losing. And plus, by the way, all the, all the people who are voting up at the state house on the bills that are directly going to affect our lives, whether it's defunding Planned Parenthood, whether it's stand your ground laws, all the stuff that Joe's going to come up and talk to us about, are white men. Are we all white men in here? No. <laughs> <laughs> And look, there's nothing wrong with white men. White men are great. <laughs> but, but the reality is our population's changing, and we actually need a government that represents 
all of us and not just an elite, you know, the people who have all the privilege, right? And so I just think that whatever the Democratic, you know, and I, I've been in grassroots organizing. I'm not, uh, I'm not a party politician person. I haven't ever ran campaigns for Democrats. I don't do that. What I do is I run issue-based campaigns. And what I've seen is that works. And so what, I'm, what I think we need to do is I think that we need to challenge the Democratic Party to, to come to our side <laughs> and, and figure out how to organize around issues that really get um, more people involved who don't necessarily look like the people who are passing all these bad bills at the state house right now. So we, we just had a, uh, an election, a process where we elected a new Democratic Party chairman. And Tom Perez won. He was sort of portrayed as the establishment candidate. Uh, there was a lot of lobbying by the, uh, the traditional conventional political class on his behalf. And he won um, and defeated Keith Ellison who was sort of portrayed as more of a grassroots, the Bernie Sanders coalition of the progressive movement, Democratic Party. Stacey, you're, you're, you're a democratically elected uh, <laughs> um, official. What was, your, what was your thought on that process and, and how it played out? Well, I, I'll tell you, uh, in full disclosure, I supported Keith Ellison, uh, and I served as a surrogate for Keith Ellison. <clears throat> But I will also say this, um, it is not the case uh, that uh, Tom Perez does not have, uh, you know, uh, legitimate liberal bona fides. He is a tried and true liberal. He was not my first choice. Um, and that's okay, because there was an election and the people who had the power to vote, they did, and, and this is what we came up with. What I will say uh, are two things. Um, the Democratic Party now is led by a Latino, and the deputy chair is a black Muslim, and the first uh, vice chair is an African-American man. That, to me, represents progress. I think that's really, really cool. And I will also say this, uh, to Misty's point about the Democrats losing, if the Democrats want to have a fighting chance in the future, whether it's uh, coming up in these off-year elections or the midterm elections or, or in the next presidential cycle, this idea that we can't play nice in the sandbox has to end now. This idea that I am a, uh, you know, a, a Bernie loyalist versus the Clinton loyalist, if these factions within the party don't come together, we're not gonna win seats. Exactly. I, I just think, I mean, my, my response to that is I, I completely agree with that, and I think that it requires both sides to do that, whatever both sides or all sides to do that. And I think one of the things that we talked about in one of our first podcasts was sort of, how the traditional um, like uh, county councils of Democrats just aren't the space where young people are going to get involved in politics, right? It doesn't mean that they haven't been effective or that they're not doing good work, but they're it's not definitely not the place where these people, all the people in this room are coming, right? The central committees. The central committees, thank you. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah the yeah. central committees. So all I'm saying is that I think that, you know, my frustrations are how do, how do we get some of the long-standing, die-hard, you know, been there from the beginning, like 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you know, how do we, how do they, we get them to listen to us and say, hey, wait, this, this model isn't the only model, and how do we combine different tactics to engage more people? To not only just like Facebook and tweet, but to actually get out and door knock, because that's what it takes to win elections, you know? I agree, yes, <laughs> that is what it takes. So I think we've um, spent a lot of time on this subject, and we can certainly go down a rabbit hole uh, on this. 
Uh, but what I want to do is invite uh, the good Senator Joel Bochum uh, to the stage. Many of you here know him. Many of, uh, many of you here know Senator Joel Bochum, another white guy. Uh, <laughs> but for those of you who don't My know him. My favorite white guy. He's one of the good white guys. He's one of the good ones. For those of you who don't know Hashtag him. Hashtag good white guy. <laughs> so I'm going to try to read this short bio. Hashtag the good white guy. No, I'm joking. Uh, Senator Joe Bolcom is currently serving his fifth term in the Iowa Senate. He represents Iowa City, University Heights, East Lucas Township, and the City of Hills. He's previously served for six years in the Johnson County Board of Supervisors. Senator Joe Bolcom is an assistant leader and ranking member on the Appropriations Committee. He also serves in the Human Resources and Ways and Means Committee, as well as the Health and Human Services Budget Committee. All right. Give it up for Joe. Give it up for Joe. Thanks, Joe, for coming on. Happy I know I just here. bashed all the white guys, but you're my favorite white guy. It. I can handle it. So Joe and I go way back. Joe and I met um, a long time ago when I was a brand new little baby organizer with Iowa CCI. And we were working on wage theft together. And we are still working on wage theft together. Um, so it, for those of you who don't know, I have a, a history in organizing around labor rights. I've been organizing workers to have a voice in their workplace, to know their rights, and to exercise them, and um, to, to pass policies that are better for them. And I, I have a history of organizing around wage theft and recovering thousands of dollars in unpaid wages. Um, but uh, you know, organizing is a key, key right to workers having any sort of voice in the workplace. Um, whether they have a union or not, workers really need to have the right to, uh, to demand more from their employers, an equal, an equal place in the workplace, an equal spot in the workplace. So we asked Joe to come up here because there's so much happening at the State House, but one of the most um, devastating things that has happened in the last two weeks is there was a collective bar an anti-collective bargaining bill that was passed at the State House. And... Um, this affects thousands, hundreds of thousands of workers across the state of Iowa. And so uh, Joe has been a champion on workers' rights uh, for his whole term. So Joe, why don't you kind of just, we're going to start this conversation talking about uh, HF 291, which was the anti-bargaining bill that kind of takes away basically all public sector workers' rights to bargain on anything other than their basic wage. So they can't bargain on their benefits and things like that. But I'm not the policy expert. Joe is. So we're going to let Joe give us a little bit of the background on kind of the insider story of how this collective bargaining bill came about and what you think the consequences are going to be for Iowans. Well, thank you, thank you very much. Um, before I do, let me just thank you, Misty and Simeon and, and Stacy and Veronica for bringing us all together tonight to talk about all these issues. I, I'm really happy to be here and thank you all for being here. Uh, this is the beginning of taking our country back, right? I mean, if Donald Trump is doing anything, he's got us all worked up to be more involved than we have been. So uh, that's really a good thing. Um, we, I, it's good to be home. Uh, the shitstorm is alive and well over in Des Moines. Um, the, uh, the, uh, sorry, uh, why, are Republic, why are Republicans so obsessed with trying to fix things that aren't broken 
is the, is the world we're in right now. The collective bargaining issue is probably one of the most uh, damaging things that's happened so far. It affects about 180,000 families in the state who work for uh, school districts, cities, counties, and the state of Iowa that for the last 40 years have been able to sit down with their employer and make sure that their families had the health care they needed and they had a decent wages and some uh, retirement security. And all that was taken away uh, in a course of about 10 days where a bill was, a set of ideas were put forward and 10 days later, it basically reversed 40 years of worth of what has been really good labor management relationships between school boards and teachers, between city administrators and their workers, between county supervisors and their workforce, not only about benefits and wages and retirement, but how you organize the workplace, that everybody knows what the rules are, and there's a way for the management to, to be able to work and make, produ make for productive uh, workplaces. Because at the end of the day, uh, it affects all of us. We can talk about the 180,000 families that are affected, but we cannot do a thing in this community without the su support and services of local workers. When you, when you get out to, the, to this first stop sign and try and figure out if it's safe to go, that stop sign was put up by a public worker. This restaurant, this restaurant was inspected by somebody at the health department, the county health department, make sure the food that's being served tonight is not going to make us sick. And as you think about it, uh, you cannot, you cannot, the businesses can't operate and the community can't operate without good public services. And we have great public services in Iowa. All that kind of got turned on its head and, and there's going to be challenges uh, going forward. I'll stop with that. The, uh, on that, I can talk for you a long time us, on You can it, see us kind of like jump in. Uh, jump you in. know, wrestling to jump in and ask you a question. So, Senator Bolcom, this, uh, let's call this what this is. This is union busting. Uh, and it seems as if the Republicans won this large majority, largely campaigning on we're going to fix education, support our teachers, um, and we're going to, you know, bring down taxes. I mean, those are the two things I heard in all these ads. But this sort of union-busting bill has, has sort of um, been elevated to a priority of the Republicans, and it reads a lot like what happened in Wisconsin. Uh, so it leaves a lot of people asking, Iowans asking, myself included, where does this stuff come from? Where, does, where do the Republicans in the Iowa legislature get these ideas? Well, just to talk a little bit about the political process and the campaigns. Uh, uh, this, la this past November, there was more money spent in legislative campaigns than we've ever seen. And, you know, Democrats, we, we had really good candidates. We had incumbents running for re-election. We had people door knocking, talking about education, talking about what we thought were the issues. And we were bar absolutely buried in, out of, st out of state, basically, uh, Americans for Prosperity and Koch Brothers, Money and I, I know I. It, that sounds kind of cliche, you know, the the Koch brothers. Who are they, right? And Americans for Prosperity. But there were millions worth, millions of dollars spent on TV commercials that started, probably six to eight weeks before we've ever seen TV commercials for these legislative races that uh, we just got buried. And 
so people are wondering, is this an Iowa agenda or is this, a, is this the Koch brothers' big business agenda? Because if you look at ALEC and you look at the Koch brothers, all across the country where we've seen, and it's not just here, I mean, we've, we've seen more Republican state legislators elected across the country the last six years than like any time in the history of the country. Uh, they've invested in trying to drive down wages for working people. They have, a, it's kind of an assault on public union workers this legislation didn't impact any of the private unions, and it's really an attempt to try and essentially degrade those jobs. And when you take away the best jobs in the community, because this is going to have a really negative effect on rural Iowa, when you think about the best jobs in rural Iowa, they're the teachers, they're the superintendents, they're the people that work for the county, they're the people that work for the city. And when those jobs are degraded, other employers are able to pay less, do less in terms of the quality of the benefits and the quality of the opportunities. And when that happens, uh, it, it, their interest is in low wages and lower taxes and making more money. And when you think about people that have the kind of money they have, the Koch brothers are like some of the, you know, you got Bill Gates trying to solve world problems and <laughs> Warren Buffett trying to solve world problems and you Koch brothers just trying to get richer. Hey, Joe, I, w I want to switch topics just a little bit because I've been I you work with this guy and I'm dying to know. But first, uh, um, where, are you, where are you from? Where are you, are you from Iowa City originally? I grew up in the Quad Cities, Rock the Quad Island, cities. Moline. Oh, wow. Graduated Moline High School, John Deere Junior High. Oh, very cool. Um, are you are you a vegetarian? I am a vegetarian. OK, uh, so <laughs> I'm from I'm from Columbus, Ohio, so we don't have this in Columbus. But I hear, have you, have you ever been to a Sizzler before? I don't, I have not. I just, I just learned about Sizzler this week. So do you know uh, State Senator, Senator Mark, Mark Shelgren? Yeah, Senator Mark Shelgren, like, of course, yes. Just, who is this guy? Like, just explain this, make sense of this to well, us. Well, last, I don't know if people saw this story. Last week there were eight, eight planets discovered and then they thought there's only new, seven new planets. And, and the eighth planet was actually a, a Senator Mark Shelgren bill request. <laughs> they brought it in. And he's, he's, the, he's the member that thinks that we should check, we should hire faculty at the University of Iowa and have a balance of Republicans and Democrats and independents. And that was the, that was the eighth planet. So I was, and, I was and he, we, we learned this week that his uh, resume, he, he fabricated some things about his academic uh, no, work and no, take no, over. Say what, what, what did he do? <laughs> say what it, he said he had a business degree from a restaurant. Is yeah. that right? Yes. Right. A sizzler. So in preparation for this, uh, for the podcast, I was doing some reading, you know, I read I Was Starting Line and Bleeding Heartland and read some of their takes on it, right? Shout out to Pat Raynard. Go read I Was Starting, yeah, really uh, starting Line. Stuff. Really um, good stuff. But he's a dick. He's yeah. not a good person, yeah. right? Yeah. You work with him, don't you? I do. He's he's a he's very verbal, and every said like a typical politician. Every well, he he talks he t he talks all the time, Maddie. He talks all the time. You know this, but it, I, every idea that comes into his head turns into a bill request. And he's proposed some very asinine things, like if a university doesn't have equilibrium with political representation the state should change its funding and 
Like, what the hell, man? Yeah. What's going on with that? Well, the bill's dead, and he, he, kind, of, he kind of got embarrassed this week. Yeah. So, so that kind of takes us to talk about uh, this week marked the, the end of the first, first funnel, right? It did. So um, another, another uh, bad bill, I think, that I would say, and I know, Simeon, you probably have some things to say about this, is there's been some serious budget cuts happening, and um, I could go on and on about how that affects my organization directly, Planned Parenthood. Um, but uh, it seems as if our state is really trying to defund public education. Um, so uh, SF-166 uh, was a file, was a, excuse me, was a, a bill that was passed to only give a 1.1% raise to our public schools um, for the next school year. Um, and I know you know a lot about education. Um, it's one of your big issues. So can you kind of break that down? How did that come about? And what do you think that means for our schools? Well, just I think just big picture. You know, the state has has a $7 billion budget, and education takes up about 60% of it. And over the, about the last seven years, we've had a really, really difficult time funding our K-12 system, the worst funding in, like, the last 40 years under Governor Branstead. Governor Branstead's has been terrible in, in putting forward money. Our, our public universities and community colleges have also been underfunded. I mean, we've, we've had this big issue in the last week about these tuition scholarships being taken away and then given back. Um, well, the university actually has less money today, about $50 million less in base funding than they did seven years ago in real dollars, right? So we've done, the legislature has kind of given up on public education at all levels at a time when our families are struggling. We have more families that need more support. Their kids need more support. We need more resources in our, in our K-12 system. There's a conversation over here about vouchers and taking away a bunch of public money and giving it to private schools. And then there's this big problem of where is all the money going? And we've seen the, f the fastest part of the, the growth of the budgets in tax credits and, and corporate giveaways. And, and we, this year we'll spend about $700 million between tax credits and property tax cuts, $700 million that's not available to fund our local schools or the, our colleges. So I think both parties, I'm going to get in trouble here, <laughs> have have share some responsibility for some of the decisions we've made about some of these spending priorities where we've given up way too much money to uh, foreign fertilizer plant data centers like Facebook Google and Microsoft and in this area we give up tens of millions of dollars to companies like Rockwell Collins and John Deere where we've got all the money for them, and then we go over here on education, and we're broke. So I think there's really we're at a point here where uh, we need to like get serious about what our priorities are, and that has to be a sh that's a shared responsibility between Democrats and Republicans to fix this. So Republicans are attacking education, they're attack attacking health and human services, and they're attacking the arts. But let's just stay on education. There's an organization uh, that formed after the election, Iowans for Public Education. 10,000 people across the state uh, organizing, uh, strategizing on how to push back at some of the things you mentioned, mentioned that the Republican legislature is trying to cut. How would you, what advice would you give them? How can they make a difference in this fight? Well. Here it is. I mean, the people that show up win, right? And I think 
being here tonight is a really good thing. Thank you for being here. But I think the, this, this Facebook group that started turned out like, I don't know, how many people were at the, ra the education rally in Des Moines? Like 10,000 like, people, right? Yeah. Oh, I mean, it was, it was this massive thing that these two women put together. And you, you guys organizing us tonight is, is part of that, right? Just bringing us together to talk about these issues. But I think at the end of the day, if Iowans don't like what's going on, if you don't like what's going on, you need to show up. You need to go do stuff and speak out. That's it. I mean, the, the, the Tea Party, the Tea Party, like nine years ago, or I'm sorry, in 2009, on, on April 15th, we looked out the window at the Capitol and there were like a thousand Tea Party people there. It's like, who are these people, <laughs> right? And you know, five years later, they are running Congress. They've they've taken over the legislatures, and they've elected the they've elected this Trump guy, right? So, why can't we do that? I like that. I like that. All right, uh, we have heard a lot of information, good information from Senator Joe Bochum. So, folks, once again, give it up for the good Senator Joe Bochum. Thank you so much for coming. We really appreciate it. Keep fighting the good fight. We need you there. So before I get to uh, the last thing that I like to do, I want to ask uh, Simeon to walk us to walk us through uh, uh, what's next for the political party. What are we doing next? So um, I'm excited to to tell you guys that we'll be in Des Moines on March 18th for the next political party live event. Um, there's an event called Camp Wellstone. It's a, um, a grassroots progressive uh, campaign training put on by uh, some folks that are affiliated with the late Senator Paul Wellstone out in Minneapolis. And they're coming to Iowa, the they're coming to Iowa for the very first time to put on a weekend training. Um, they're gonna train future candidates, uh, future campaign organizers, future uh, uh, campaign staffers in an effort to get more progressive progressives elected this year and the next. On Saturday, and that's, that, that training is March 16th through the 18th. On that Saturday, March 17th through the 19th, I, I apologize. Uh, on March 18th, we're organizing um, our next live uh, podcast at the Des Moines Social Club in the basement. And um, uh, it should be cool, it should be fun. And uh, our special guest will be the recently elected Iowa Democratic Party Chairman, Derek Eden. Uh, there's a lot going on with the Democratic Party right now, and Derek's got a lot on this plate. Uh, there are a lot of issues and, and things that people want to see different with the Democratic Party. We're going to talk about that, and we're going to hear from Derek what his vision is, what his plan is to kind of reform the Democratic Party. And like Misty said, start winning, getting Democrats and progressives elected uh, right now. Simeon, after we conclude this podcast, what are we going to do tonight? We're going to dance. So shout out to Mike Sanderson back there. Uh, he's yes, going to DJ. Give it up for Mike. And um, uh, uh, I'm going to do a little bit myself. <laughs> All right. So every podcast, I take uh, the liberty uh, to ask my co-hosts a rather illuminating question. And this question I um, am stealing from a woman by the name of Glennon Doyle Melton, uh, who blogs quite a bit. And I heard her speak at an event uh, for a nonprofit organization called Count the Kicks, which uh, State Senator Janet Peterson is very uh, active in. So here's a question. 
The question was, tell me what it is that breaks your heart. If you can tell me that question, I will tell you what right, your you're gonna, you're gonna ask Misty. I will tell you what your passion <laughs> is. I'll go to Misty first. Tell me what it is that breaks your heart, and I will tell you what your passion is, and then tell me what you're gonna do about it. You're gonna tell me what my passion is? I'm gonna tell you what your passion is. What breaks your heart, Misty? Uh, well, my heart is beating fast from that question. <laughs> um, yeah, so definitely I, <laughs> what breaks my heart, besides people, is I, no, really though, what breaks my heart is when, um, <laughs> what breaks my heart, yeah, we love that, we Thanks, love Sally. Islam in the back, oh, Sally, oh. All right, so what breaks my heart really honestly is um, seeing people be confronted with injustice and having no idea what to do about it and or choosing not to do anything about it. Um, I think that's what got me into organizing. I think what brings my heart back to you know one full piece is when um, after sort of being in a group of like-minded people and finding out you have a voice and your voice is important, you don't need to be an elected official. I love you, Joe, but you don't need to be an elected official. You don't need to have a college education or you can have a college education. You don't need to be white or you can be white. It doesn't really matter. Your voice matters. And so when I see people kind of knit themselves back together and walk with a straighter spine and speak a lot louder, that's what kind of mends my heart so yeah I love that I love that Misty <laughs> Simeon have you had enough time to think about yeah, what I it have, is that yeah. breaks your heart I'm just gonna um, I came to Iowa to work in politics and I, I uh, it's for the Barack Obama campaign in, in early 2007 I was one of the first foot organizers to to join the campaign and come here in Iowa City and I had uh, a one-on-one -on -one meeting with yeah, you. Yeah, me and that's where me and Stacy first met back in the day when it was uh, Barack Hussein Obama, and uh, <laughs> we it was uh, s still somewhat unrealistic that he he could win. Um, what breaks my I say that because what breaks my heart is that this is a country that elected Barack Obama. This is a state that uh, gave Barack Obama uh, a caucus win, uh, elected him, re-elected him, and. Uh, went for Donald Trump, a guy that um, if it, it's, 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 a, it's a nice, it's being nice to say that he, he ran dog whistle politics. Um, and if we're, if we're being straightforward, uh, he really uh, stoked uh, some of the racial animosity and fears of a lot of folks across the country. That breaks my heart. Um, not necessarily for me, but I, 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 for President Obama, um, uh, Gosh, uh, the the change and the um, what he represented for this country and Michelle Obama and those two beautiful girls, uh, what it meant for them. Uh, that smart girls, you know, they're gonna. I mean, man, I hope they run for office one day, right? Uh, for that family and to to leave office and to have to welcome Donald Trump. That uh that that footage of of Barack and Michelle greeting. Uh, <laughs> Donald and Melania, man, that that was that was that was that was cringeworthy. Um, that breaks my heart. So what am I going to do about it? Yes. What are you going to do? Wait, 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 wait. Stacy always has to answer his own questions. Yeah, yeah, no, I'll, <laughs> I'll get to it. I'll get to it. But what are you going to do about that, Sim? Or what are you doing about it? I think this this 
there are some elections we, 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 we have to win in 2017. Definitely we have to do a good job in 2018. But as Iowans, it looks like the caucus is still going to be the first in the nation caucus. And so once again, we'll play an outsized role in choosing who the next uh, president will be. Uh, I don't, I, you know, I never thought I would get involved with another political campaign, but um, you know, I'm, if there, I think I might have to, to, to get back involved. I think I might have to have some skin in the game yes, next time around. That. I know people are uh, itching to get uh, moving, to get no, dancing. No, they want to hear what you think, Stacey. <laughs> and Sally, Sally is going to make sure people listen to me. I love that. <laughs> Sally has taken over Motley Cow. Thank you, Sally. Um, so what breaks my heart? Um, I, I, you know, I, what breaks my heart is, is this. We live in one of the wealthiest countries on the face of the planet with some of the smartest people in the world, uh, and we can't figure out some of the basics, right? We, we haven't figured out how to provide a quality, affordable education for all of our residents of this country, uh, including making college free to all people who want it, while other major industrialized countries have done that. We haven't figured out how to offer um, our residents of this country uh, quality, affordable health care, um, making it a right and not a privilege. Um, and we have so many people living in abject poverty, and we have so many resources, and Donald Trump in the in in the uh, the number of the amount of money that he did not pay in taxes could literally solve some of these problems that we have, uh, and it kills me, kills me on the inside that we are just existing in a country where these hugely complicated systemic problems have a solution, but we lack the political will. Uh, to solve them or to at least address them and it really 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 crushes me so what am I going to do about it um, I'm going to keep hanging out with folks like you and folks like you all in the audience and I think if we stay at it if we build coalitions if we drop the whole I'm not working with this group because they're a Clinton supporter and I'm a Bernie supporter if we can get past that I think we'll uh, I think that's how progress will happen all right any last shout outs we got to do Anything I forgot? Tip. Yep. I want to say a major thank you to Veronica Tesler, who's just an extraordinary human being in her own right. Entrepreneur. She's our producer, the founder of Mission Iowa City. Um, she's everywhere doing wonderful things in the community, and I really hope to see her in office one day because she'll be a badass elected official. Um, so thank you, Veronica. Sam Alexakis holding it down, solving all of our technical problems, setting up for us, moving all the equipment. Um, he's just been a wonderful treat and addition uh, to our team. So give it up for Sam Alexakis in the back. We couldn't do this without you, so I appreciate you supporting crazy experimental projects like this. Please keep it up, keep fighting. Keep writing postcards, keep showing up, keep doing everything that you do, because that's how shit is going to change. That's right. I said the S word. <laughs>
tip your waiters, your waitresses. Hang out with us. We are going to dance tonight. Shit's going to be awesome. Thank you guys so much. We really you. appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, everybody.